Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. Uh, well, two things. One, it feels like it's been an entire lifetime since we recorded last for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. It's been a week. It feel, it, every now and then that happens, time just feels different. Yeah. I have played about 400 video games since we last recorded. <laughs> Dude, uh, I'm yeah. going to talk about only a few of them today. Where's your gamer score at? <laughs> I don't. I don't even know these days, man. Hell yeah, dude! It's not, it's not a number that can be read out loud in a two-hour yeah, podcast. It's a new symbol. It's like Prince. <laughs> <laughs> you ascended numerics. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude! Congrats. I knew you had it in you. My gamer score is just an umlaut. <laughs> I love that. It's the goal. It's the dream. Anyway, I'm glad to be here. I'm actually having I'm having a good day today. I'll say that much. I woke nice. up this morning. I felt refreshed for the first time in like forever. Although I will say I did wake up this morning and I looked at the clock and it was like 830 and I was mortified that it was a Monday and that I had to start working 30 minutes. <laughs> so I like rocketed out of bed and then I was like, oh, wait, I'm actually just up early for the weekend. So I just played a little Dragon Quest 11S. Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for Nintendo Switch now available for Xbox oh, Game Pass um, before recording today, which, which was a nice way to spend the morning. Yeah, I will We'll say just real quick, a little pat on my back. I beat the post game last night at two yeah. in the morning or earlier this morning, I guess I yeah. beat the post game. We're recording our bonus for Dragon Quest 11 S Echoes in Evolusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch now on Game Pass previously on the 3DS. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it somehow is justified in getting longer each time. <laughs> Soon it'll just be an umlaut like my gamer score. But I finished it and I'm very happy because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to before recording. Not that like we were forcing that to happen, but like ideally I wanted one of us to be able to speak to like the entire thing. Yeah. And now, now we can. Um, yeah. So dear listener, look forward to uh, that bonus episode coming soon to a podcast yeah. player near you. I'm really excited. I, I always am excited for the bonuses, but that's going to be, that one has a very long and, and rocky history, that game <laughs> with the show. So I'm excited to reach this like very positive end note. With yeah. It. Close the book on it. Close the book on it. Yeah. Literally we'll get to that. But, yeah. um, Anyway, you picked up a brand new game of the of the hundred because again, your gamer score is like a your gamer score is actually a video of like sort of a new color, you know, like it's like ultra. If you're you have to have a certain gamer score to see it, it's like ultraviolet, where like we our eyes can't register right. the color. You have to have a high enough gamer score, or you have to be that one kind of shrimp that can see more colors than us. <laughs> yeah, if you're either a shrimp or a gamer, you can see this new color that is. Aren't your gamer those the shrimp that have like actual like Mega Man gun arms? Aren't those the ones that like when <laughs> the they clamp shrimp? down their claws, like it, it it creates like a sonic boom that kills fish? Is that what that? There's like a Pokemon that looks like that. Is that what they're based on? Yeah. Anyway. Um, you, your gamer source out of control and you've been playing a bunch of stuff and you picked up a new game that I'm very excited to hear about. I have not picked it up yet. I think I might, uh, you, you might have to sell me on it cause it's something I think I, in, in messaging about this game with you, uh, by the way, it's Hitman three now at stores and, and downloadable services near you. Mm-hmm. This game I equated to the Godfather where it's like on a surface level, I have virtually no interest, but I know when someone sits me down and makes me watch it and play it, I'll love it, which is what happened with the Godfather. Right. That mom was like, you and your father have not seen this trilogy. I mean, well, the first two yet to see but she's like you haven't seen these movies you can't say you're like into film until you've seen them which like debatable point but she was right they're great movies and they're worth watching and they yeah. were separate from this sort of like kind of toxic 
view that I thought it was going to be. Like, I thought it was going to be very, like, yeah, like, because that's, like... Like the, Scarface, Goodfellas kind of shit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and Goodfellas is, like, I think, I think Scorsese is, like, always making a mission to, like, criticize the characters in his movies. And there's, yeah. like, a lot of debates about how successful that is, but anyway... I'm on, I'm, I'm on team he's never successful at it. <laughs> <laughs> Enough people have Goodfellas posters in their, in their college the, dorm rooms, the and now yes. have Wolf of Wall Street posters in their college right. dorm rooms. Yes, it's it's it, the dude who has the Godfather Fight Club Wolf of Wall Street posters just like sucks shit. And that's like <laughs> what I associated the movies yeah. with. And yeah. in the case of the Godfather, it's not really fair. They're much better movies than those than the placement of those posters and who has them yeah. would suggest. Yeah. Now, I have not seen anyone with Hitman posters. And if I did, I would be a little bit nervous. But I've heard like unanimous of great things about the the newer entries and you have picked up the third one and I, I want to hear all about it. Yeah. So this is the one game that's coming out in 2021 before like Q2. I mean, there's like really nothing happening for a long while. So I was like, I'll, yeah. I'll play the new video game that's coming out right, right. in January of 2021. <laughs> um, Conquer five. <laughs> Conquer 5. Also for the N64. <laughs> yeah. Hope you saved it. Conquer 5. You won. Um, so, yeah. I, <laughs> I, so I have the first two Hitman games on, on my PlayStation account. Uh, I think I yeah. just, like, acquired them via, like playstation plus whatever uh like the free game of the month uh just never played them kind of for the same reason that you have never played them it just seems like yeah. one of those things where it's like i know i'll probably like this but i just can never bring myself to say like i'm gonna play a game called hitman today because yeah. it just feels like the most like video game in the background of a breaking bad episode kind of like title <laughs> for a video game yeah tony soprano's son is playing and he's like fuck off dad you know i'm playing and, hitman yeah. too I'm playing hitman too. It, i think because like the original games came out like around the same time as like GTA three, right? It was like the sort of early two thousands. I think so, yeah, yeah. When the series started, um, and they were kind of like, if I, I know very little about the series, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember them being revolutionary at the time for the fact of like kind of having this Assassin's Creed, like you have to blend into the crowd. Yeah, and- yeah, just the silent assassin thing. I think, I think, um, I don't know. People seem to like back then. I don't really remember a whole lot about them. There were even then games that I wasn't interested in as yeah. like. Brendan Call of Duty Bigly. Uh, I wasn't very into the Hitman <laughs> games. I don't know if that was ever your <laughs> Anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So I, IO Interactive eventually uh, acquired the rights to do essentially like full scale reboots of this franchise um, and and started with uh, a game, I think, published by Square Enix, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Which was which was the like original reboot of Hitman, which I played for about 30 minutes at a Comic-Con. Uh, Square Enix had had a booth at Comic-Con once. Uh, it was it was a Comic-Con that I snuck into by saying wow. I was press, uh, which was a wow. fun time. Amazing. Yeah, it was fun. I That is how I would recommend going to Comic-Con, because if you are paying <laughs> to go smell that horrible fake popcorn smell, you've been duped. But anyway, if you go <laughs> if you go to Comic-Con in 2015, you can play at a booth hitman the reboot and i remember like picking it up and being like this definitely feels exactly like i would expect a game called hitman to feel uh and i just kind of wrote it off and i never played it again but over the course of the past couple of years with hitman one and then eventually the sequel coming out and the sequel then incorporated all the levels from the first one so it was like very clear they were just like building this foundation almost like a left for dead to left for dead 2 situation where like yeah all the previous levels imported which is a really cool idea i i watched a lot of streams of people whose like video game opinion 
minions I respect uh, playing through Hitman levels like over and over and over again, like multiple times going through the same level like 20 times and having a completely new experience every time. And and that kind of opened my eyes to what this game was actually doing and kind of like yeah. wiped away this fog that I had had on my brain, which was like stupid and judgy that these games were bad. So with that, almost like John Wick 1 and 2, where like you think that those are going to be like really stupid and bad movies, and it turns out they're great. I finally went and saw John Wick 3 in theaters because I was like, now I understand I've seen the light. Yeah. I feel like I'm having the same experience but with Hitman, uh, <laughs> awesome. weirdly enough. So I, I picked up Hitman 3 like the day it came out, and I, I've played the first couple levels in there. This game owns... It's really good. Uh, so yeah. here's the thing about it. I, I find myself torn like completely into with this game because on one hand, and I think this wasn't a thing as much in the first two, they're focusing a lot on story and like the origin of Agent 47, who is the protagonist of the Hitman franchise, who is like the least interesting dude. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't care at all about the origin story of Agent 47. I don't care about him as a character really at all. To me, he is just like the uh, like blue avatar cat person uh that i get to inhabit you know what i mean like i just blue avatar cat person yeah like an avatar james cameron's avatar oh i was like what <laughs> i was trying to play like because you said blue avatar i thought you meant like the bare bones rendering of like a 3d environment and then you added cat person i was like where are we <laughs> No, I just I just mean that like via my Xbox Elite Controller version two, I am essentially hooking myself up to an avatar gotcha, uh, and inhabiting gotcha. an, a different place. And in that case, my avatar is Agent 47, a completely <laughs> emotionless and like personality lists individual. Yeah. Um, what what this game actually is and where it succeeds is not in storytelling, but is instead in just like being a, a sandbox of systems it's just a sandbox of like really fun goofy shit that you can do and that's kind of like i, I think the biggest criticism that i'd lay against this and I, I just want to kind of get it out of the way so i can talk about why it's fun but this game seems to be focusing way more on trying to tell like a, a story than it should be i i really need it to just get out of its own way so i can have fun yeah. Because yeah. there are so many instances in which there are like, like, it's very clear. So IO Interactive, the developers of this game, are going on to make James Bond next. They have the rights to make the next oh, James wow. Bond game, which like feels like a match made in heaven. And it almost right. feels like Hitman 3 is their way of like kind of testing the waters to see what a James Bond game would feel like. Because like, yeah, a lot of the dialogue that's happening is like very quippy and like James Bond E, but doesn't have any of the like fun of James Bond. The game right. is taking itself really seriously for some reason in the cutscenes but then like 20 minutes later you're dressed as like i don't know like a yacht owning uh aviators wearing kind of like casino guy on a boat throwing a banana at a security guard so he slips <laughs> and trips and falls into a fire hose that you use to spray the guy you're supposed to kill off the side of the boat like that's the shit that happens in this game but then but then the cutscenes are like i'm agent 47 you know and like i just yeah, don't need yeah. that i don't need that right. from him i need actually nothing from him i need him to be a blank slate <laughs> <laughs> I need nothing. Just throw the banana peel. Yeah. That's all I want. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's hard to be like gritty when you've just thrown a banana peel. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Which like, there's a lot of comedic gold that that's on purpose, but it doesn't sound like it, it is. It's not. Know? And that's the thing. That's yeah. the thing that I was like really trying to wrap my head around because I was like, I have seen a lot of gameplay of Hitman 1 and 2 and know that it has the capacity to be really goofy. So I was 
hoping that when I went into it, the story would kind of reflect that and that they would like have a kind of tongue in cheek, like almost Sean Connery Bond like era vibe to it. And it's not that at all. It is very much like more of like a Jason Bourne kind of situation, you know, like like early 2000s spy movie that takes itself way too seriously kind of vibe. Um, It's very confusing. But then you get into the game and the game is, first of all, beautiful. I mean, just like some of the most incredible interior design I've seen in a game, um, the the locations that you're going to are just like phenomenal uh, from like a lighting perspective, from like a geometry perspective and just like an all around like interior design perspective, like even the furniture. I'm like, oh, my God, I would I want that couch in real life. I I would sit on that. Um, Yeah. So so the first level is kind of like a training course and it, it's supposed to take place like in the 90s or something. And it's like, here's how Agent 47 became Agent 47. Here's like the training course he had to go through. And it, and it starts off on like a fake boat uh, that they like create in, in like a in like a warehouse. So it kind of it's like it looks like a set, you know, like if you, if you look over the edge of gotcha. the boat, it's just that's like cool. a concrete floor. It's really cool. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And you have to kill a guy who's like throwing a party on the boat. Uh, and, and that's how they they teach you how to play the game. And that mission is honestly really great i have played through it four times now i just keep going back to that mission because it's so fun um and there are just so many interesting ways of, of making it happen but you go through that and then the next mission is like this kind of it's like a recreation of like a i, I think cold war era military base um and there's like this guy who is like one of the best chess players in the world and he's secretly working for the kgb um and they're gonna put him on a fighter jet so he can fly you know uh, radarless into the united states to like go do something Something, you have to assassinate him and again this is just like another test essentially they've like recreated this thing that happened during the cold war and you just have to like play through it and the way in that one it's very interesting because they like really kind of force you down one specific avenue and that avenue is so fun because it involves you going breaking into this place like trying on like 14 different disguises so you can get like deeper and deeper and deeper into the military base by like you know bonking someone over the head and then putting their clothes on and hiding them in like a fern somewhere uh and then you <laughs> You make your way in and and you have to like tamper with the the fighter jet to like change the way the ejector seat works and then trick the chess playing guy into sitting in the jet to like do a test run and like make sure that the ejector seat is turned off and he sits there and then obviously he rockets off into the sky uh, and dies, <laughs> which is like an unbelievably goofy thing that is happening in the midst of this game that's taking itself very seriously. So that's all of like the tutorial and it's really fun. Yeah. Um, but then where the game leads to, like it becomes... I think the thing that people were expecting, the thing that I was hoping to get out of it, which is like the the actual story missions that you go through. The first one takes place in what is essentially the Burj Khalifa. I mean, they say it's in Dubai, but they changed the name of the tower probably for like legal reasons. But you're in the tallest tower in the world and you're like invited to this party for the opening of it. And you have to kill two different people in this party. And there's like a billion ways to do it. And that's where the, the fun of the game really lies. The, the fun of the game is really in like finding out what different outfits you can put on that'll allow you access to different places. Even when you have like, say you have a security guard outfit on right say you're like security for the tower you can walk around and there's like this kind of like uh agent 47 like sixth sense thing that you can do where you can like see people through walls and stuff and see where they're moving around but also if there's a little dot above the head of somebody else that means they will recognize that you're not supposed to be wearing that outfit or they'll recognize that you're out of place oh cool so even if you're wearing like a security guard outfit for the tower they'll like be little tiny story beats or like little tiny narrative elements that happen within the levels that will like let you know that that security guard 
knows all of the other security guards that he works with because he's like a cool guy and likes to hang out with his co-workers and he knows that you don't work with him you know so like instances like that are really fascinating but i've done that level like three or four times at this point also um and there's like one version of it where you can like change both of their calendars on their phones to like say that they need to meet up in this one room at the same time and they're like i don't know who you are you don't know who i am but you kill them both because they just happen to be there at the same time um i've done like another version where like i crashed a chandelier on a guy i've done another version where i killed a guy with his own art installation um there's just like (laughs) there's just like a billion ways to go about and do this stuff and that's where i think it gets really fun and really interesting um that that is like the thing that people wanted or the the thing that people liked about hitman one and two is just this like there's a billion ways to do this you can throw a coin to distract somebody and then push them off the side of the tower you know something like that um there's another version of this where like i beat i like tricked the guy that i was supposed to kill into thinking that i was his security guard and then i like walked around with him as he like went around his like daily tasks for like a really long time until this moment we were both in a room alone with one another and then i killed him from behind like stuff like that is really cool but I think where I'm having the most fun is just like hanging out in these places because there's so much dialogue (laughs) written for like every NPC that's in this world. Every NPC is like a person who like has a little tiny task that they go about uh, and and they have to act out, you know, over the course of like an hour or two hours or however long it's going to take you to do this thing. They have like programmed routes for all these different people and they're all having conversations and they're all. Uh, you know, going and like doing things and some like I found this one person who was also trying to kill one of the people that I was trying to kill, but she was just like a janitor who worked for this building and just hated his guts. Essentially, <laughs> she's like, he's the worst boss of all time. He yells at me all the time and I'm going to just fucking kill him. So like there are situations in which you can just help somebody else kill the person. You, you, you have your hands clean in a way. You don't even have to like do anything. You just kind of like egg her on and help her do wow. it, which is cool. It sounds but- like it's it's like the the most like high def version of what Oblivion was trying to do with that yeah, one Dark man. Brotherhood quest. Where Absolutely. It's like, I know it's like, okay, how do I, how did I possibly link this to Oblivion? But no, I think you're like, so right though. Yeah. That, that quest in particular, which we talked about a lot really puts you in the mindset of like, okay, I'm not, I'm not just going to like kill everyone with a knife. You know, I need yeah. to be creative about this. And like, actually, I think what's seemingly, it sounds like what's more fun than, than actually the killing is blending into the environment. And mm-hmm. like, how to do that in a way that is like unnoticeable and organic and interesting. And, and that, that sounds really, really cool. It is really cool. Uh, And also like the fact that the murder itself is not inherently like I shot them or I stabbed them. It's like they can rock it off in a pilot seat. Like that's like way better and more fun. I think totally. Yeah. And that, that is, that is really where like the goofiness comes in. That's where like that, that vibe that I was looking for comes into play. Um, and I, I'll be honest, there are a couple, I think one of the things that I've walked away from this game really kind of learning is like if you have an opening to like take out the target then you should just do that like there there is one of the playthroughs that i did of the boat mission uh that like the training boat mission where like the guy just happened to be alone for a second like he usually has three bodyguards with him and he just happened to be alone for a second so i just like took out a gun and i shot him in the head and i ran away and like that was it and that was the end of the mission they're like hey mission success you killed the target nobody noticed great you're done so like there are instances in which you can do that but you could also like crush him with a lifeboat you know if you want to yeah or you can like poison his drink with rat poison uh, that he orders from the bar by like pretending to be a bartender you know like stuff like that there are like a billion ways to do everything so 
that is like I think core to what this Hitman reboot is all about. Where Hitman Three, I think, gets really interesting is that they've kind of decided that they want to subvert their own thing. It's like we're giving you more of the thing you want, but we're also showing you what else we can do here. So there's another mission that, like, I'm gonna be honest, is just Knives Out the movie. Um, there's another <laughs> mission where you are not killing other people; you are solving the murder of somebody else. Oh, that's fun. And they're using all the same systems. It's all the same stuff, but it's just you you uh, gathering information instead of like acting on that information to murder a guy and like that is thrilling it's really cool i mean it takes place in like a giant knives out style manner in you know like the london or like the english countryside and it's like you know downpour rain situation you know thunder and lightning and all that kind of stuff like very sherlock holmes vibes and that is also thrilling that's equally thrilling because again i mean you're still trying to not get caught but you're also trying to gather information i i have gone like I had I had a suspicion that I was going to like this game a lot. I'm walking away from it thinking like I'm going to play this game kind of nonstop. And I've heard from a lot of people um, online and offline that the Hitman games are like some of the best for replayability in a single player game. Yeah. You know, in terms of like if you think about games this way, bang for your buck or whatever, um, you are definitely like there's a, there's a lot to do because they're not only like giving you, you know, hundreds of ways to go at and, and accomplish every every mission and every level and whatever, but they're also via the internet and like you know um just constant updates adding new targets to levels that already exist in new places and adding new ways to go at taking them out and stuff like that which is really cool so there's they'll do like uh big like community missions where like the community can like vote on the you know the level that they want next and the person that they want next and things like that um and they'll add like limited time events and stuff like that to just this you know kind of uh infinitely replayable game already they'll add even more which i think is really cool Um, that's awesome yeah Yeah. so i like i i'm gonna play the rest of this probably because it's really fun first of all but b i'm I'm now wondering like should i get hitman one and two so i can import those levels and play through them in the Uh, hitman three engine like that feels like the obvious thing to do next so yeah i don't know hitman three is really cool i i'm gonna be honest with you my prediction is that you will not pick this game up i don't think Uh, i don't think i i don't know if it's your thing but i think if you did play it like if you just happen to have hitman one or two on like psn for some reason uh like i did somehow by accident um you will probably like <laughs> you will probably like yeah. it if you play it i feel like this is this sounds like the kind of game that i want to play weirdly with other people once like i can hang out you know like yeah, once you totally. and i can be together yeah i think us playing this in one room and just seeing what could happen would be like my ideal experience with absolutely it. um yeah. the reason I, I was gonna pick it up too but for some reason on the series s you can only buy the deluxe version or at least it's the only one i could find so it's dude, like, I, I have know. been having such a hard time with exactly that. The the Series S store, I had such a hard time finding the non-deluxe version of the game. Oh, and, and, yeah. And then I did eventually, and then I, I bought it. Uh, I pre-ordered it. But um, yeah, well, I pre-ordered it the day before it came out. Uh, so yeah. is that a pre-order? I guess it is. It's the day before. But anyway, uh, yeah, I did find it. You can find it in there. If you just type gotcha. in Hitman 3, you'll see it. That's what I did, but I'll, I'll, try, I'll try harder next time. <laughs> Honestly, maybe just get one or two instead. You know, like yeah, no, that's just true. go pick those up. I've I've heard they're great. To see, just kind of test to see how much I like the the inherent formula. Yeah, yeah I mean, th- talk about like you mentioned before, they're gonna do James Bond. Like that sounds perfect. Like you said earlier, like. I'm not like a huge James Bond fan, but I think what you want to see from that series is like a variety of, of fun locations and like yes, that kind of action. It sounds like that's what they're like laser focused on with this game already. So it's, yeah. it's going to be perfect. Yeah, I I am I'm concerned that they're going to take it in a different direction than Hitman. Like I mm. I'm concerned that it's going to be more of like a kind of um, 
uncharted action game oh, than it is yeah, going to gotcha. be like a hitman game you know but i i think given what they've accomplished here it would be very silly for them to not incorporate some elements of hitman in james bond right right yeah because i feel like you know you want to have stuff like blending into the environment and not just like golden eye and high risk yeah. <laughs> or whatever uh, yeah yeah uh cool that sounds great do you want to take a break and then talk about more stuff one of the many yeah. games you played the hundreds of games you played this week yeah i would love to talk about more stuff Hell yeah. All right. I'll see you soon. Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye, Agent 47. <laughs> That's what he sounds like. Hello. Goodbye. Hey, nice what's up? To- My name is Agent 47. <laughs> see, see you in the next life, asshole. <laughs> I just like, okay, let me let me be honest. There's a one of the first moments of, of the first level of this game is like you show up in this giant golden tower in Dubai wearing like black assassin gloves and you have a briefcase with a gun in it and you walk in and you have this you have the agent 47 barcode on the back of your head it's like so clear that you're an assassin like even if nobody thinks that anyone is going to get killed (laughs) at this event it's very like oh it's very clear what he does for a living yeah oh the assassin just arrived (laughs) right yeah oh my god it's very silly yeah anyway see you soon goodbye steven we're back. Me? Yeah, you. Hi. Uh, we're back. I want to I want to tell you real quick uh, about my experience playing the Resident Evil 8 demo yeah. ca- called Maiden for the PlayStation 5. Can I shout out your excellent work on Good Morning Video Games? You had a, a video I think last week about the demo and everything around it. It was really good. Yeah, thank you so much. Watching it. Yeah. Uh, gmvg.online if you want to watch that. Anyway, yeah, so uh, Capcom had like a had like a Resident Evil Direct the other day. Uh, where they just kind of like unveiled a bunch of information about Resident Evil 8, Village, uh, and another game, that, which I am going to forget the, I, mm, the name, I think is Reverse. I think it's Resident Evil Reverse, which is like a multiplayer shooter version of Resident Evil, which, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to go. But um, we'll see. we saw a lot about Resident Evil 8, which I am kind of really excited about in a way that Me I like, wasn't really for Resident Evil 7. Even in playing, we've talked about Resident Evil 7 on this show a couple times yeah. at this point. Um, yeah. You pl- you played a little bit of it recently. Uh, October, yeah, we, right? we did a we did a in October we do spooky season and we play a bunch of horror games and I played that for the AJ lent it to me because he was because I was a big fan of the Resident Evil two remake and he was like if you like that you have to play seven because yeah. it's a they use a lot of similar systems which like definitely true it's definitely a very different vibe but um seven I think is important in the grand scheme of Resident Evil because it was like really the the kind of reboot the series needed after yeah. six which was like straight up a garbage fire like right. five and six are just terrible like across the board yeah for different it was, it was essentially capcom just saying like okay konami if you're not going to make pt into a full game then we're gonna just gonna steal that for our <laughs> reboot right uh, um, and like knocked it out of the park from what i understand i played some of it i i didn't play all of it i wasn't like a i wasn't like sucked into it the way i was hoping to be but um it definitely is good yeah i i think like i de- we talked about it and i think we have like similar feelings about what's effective and what isn't but it's a good game and it was like a really fresh take on the on the formula of the series yeah so that leading into village to to paraphrase what you said on the video about it it seems like kind of a blend of like resident evil 4 energy with biohazard which like you that's kind of what i want because i think biohazard was like really effective at like having this kind of central location sort of like the mansion or the police station in the first two Resident Evil games. And that's really effective in a horror game and weirdly I think becomes like Metroidvania-esque in its design. Totally. Or like 
you're slowly kind of like exploring this knotted environment but it also aids the horror a lot because like how to progress and where to go it's very tense and like they really nailed that atmosphere in Biohazard. I think sometimes the success of that varies between which member of the family is chasing you. The mom is terrifying. Right. And the dad is like secretly a slapstick comedian at a yeah. certain point. Yeah, the dad is like watching Talladega Nights if that was a horror movie. <laughs> um but Village seems like, you know, and I think you also said in the video that Resident Evil 4 is the perfect balance of action and horror, which I totally agree with. And I'm hoping that they go in that direction again for 8, because I think 7 was more interested in the atmosphere and the horror than the combat, which I don't mind at all. In fact, for a horror game, I kind of prefer that. Especially for like place setting Resident Evil as a series that you're rebooting. Like, I think I think it's more important to recapture the horror element than anything right. else. But weirdly in Biohazard, like there's a certain point where you have like, you know, Jill and and Claire and Chris-esque weapons. And that totally like takes me out of it where it's like, Mm -hmm. I I prefer that game when you have like a pocket knife, not when you have like a flamethrower and and, like a magnum and stuff. It's like, that doesn't really... Hell, and and with that game, there wasn't really a focus on making the combat fun. So it just sort of felt like it just felt weird. The balance yeah. is off at, at that point in the game. But Village. Uh, so anyway, I want to hear what you think about Village in the demo and how our feelings about the series are are kind of reflected in that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting about Village, first of all, is that you're playing as the same character you're playing as in Resident Evil 7. So it is like, oh, really? A, yeah, it's a direct sequel to that game. So it kind of weirdly does make sense that like he would be more prepared with like weapons and stuff going into the scenario in Village is like, okay, I know that I'm about to get into some shit. I've already been through some shit. I know how to take care of myself against like supernatural shit. Uh, So, you know, it almost feels more like he would go into this situation as a Leon Kennedy, you know, than than he did in in Resident Evil 7. So I do like that, um, like, in-universe kind of narrative explanation for why he's carrying around a briefcase filled with weapons this time. Yeah. But... That said, uh, I think that's like actually one of the best things to just touch on is like this game has the actual Resident Evil 4 inventory management system, which means that you're like playing Tetris with all the items that you pick up and and use, uh, which I'll get to, uh, you know, what I think that means. But that said, um, it does look like they're going for the Resident Evil 4 vibe. And I think I mean that in the sense that like this game takes place in like a big manner that kind of opens up to a huge kind of like gothic looking castle almost exactly the way Resident Evil 4 did. You know, Resident Evil 4, you start off in a village and then end up in this big gothic castle. I wouldn't be too surprised if the same is true of Resident Evil 8. You know, we we haven't seen how the game opens. I think it might just be kind of like a a beat for beat kind of Resident Evil 4 adjacent thing. Uh, Just replace zombies with vampires and and you have you have the new game, which I think is exhilarating. What I'm not excited about is like where it actually fits into Resident Evil canon. Like they're doing a lot of stuff in that trailer that's like, Here's where Chris is at. You know, Chris was, uh, what, the protagonist of five and six? Like, no, five in the first one. He in the very first one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, regardless, I mean, yeah. he. Everyone was in six. It was like a weird, like. Oh, it was the Avengers? <laughs> if the Avengers was a flop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, here's the thing. I played six. Don't remember it at all. Like nothing up up in the old yeah. middle about six. Chris and Jill were the, were the protagonists of the first game, but I always went for Jill. 
So yeah. Chris means nothing to me. Well, Chris is back in Resident Evil 8 uh, <laughs> for some reason. It's implied that he's a villain or something. I don't know. I just don't care about that at all. I just I just want yeah. to have like I just want to have like a kind of like scary fun time. And honestly, having played like four a lot, I played four a lot, a lot Four four was just a game where like you showed up as like a private investigator to save the president's daughter and like things got out of hand is like the vibe of that game. You know, really good setup for that story. I think Um, and eight kind of weirdly seems to be I I think you're going to save your own daughter is the vibe and that takes you to this village filled with vampires which kind of seems like a similar setup but the fact that they're introducing like Chris as like a potential antagonist and other characters from the previous games who like popped up in the in the event that's stuff that I'm not interested in really at all and I'm I'm hoping that they don't lean into it too much I'm hoping that this still like kind of exists as an entry point into the franchise the way four was for a lot of people including me I'm hoping that they're not saying like, well, now that we did seven, eight can be like a Resident Evil in universe, like narrative uh, pushing for the universe game. I'm hoping that they still see this as like, if you're new to the franchise, this is this is a cool place to get in. That said, though, the demo does not take place at all within the realm of like what's happening in the story in Resident Evil 8. Uh, it takes place like 50 or 60 years beforehand in the same manner. Uh, and, the, and the demo is only available for the PlayStation 5, which is why I want to talk about it on the show, because I know a lot of people like can't play it for that reason. Um, yeah. It's like 15 minutes long, like at most, uh, and really just to me seemed like a kind of tech demo for like what the game is capable of. Um, you start off in you start off in like a dungeon. I'm not going to like spoil the whole thing, but you start off in a dungeon. You escape the dungeon and end up like in the actual house itself. Uh, you see like the vampire people kind of just like milling about and you have to avoid them kind of like stealthy in that way. You have to solve some puzzles, you know, like go get like a weird glowing eyeball that you put in a statue that's missing an eyeball and then it unlocks a door that lets you go to another place. Stuff like that. There's no combat to speak of. There's really no like inventory management or anything like that. It really just seems to be like this is how pretty the game is going to look and when you play yeah. it it looks gorgeous it looks unbelievable i mean it's going to be like a, a ridiculously good looking game but if you're like bummed that you can't play the demo i would just say like look it up on youtube you don't really have to worry about it it's really like it's cool but it really is like 15 minutes and you'll forget about it afterwards it, did, it didn't get me more or less excited to play resident evil 8 i guess is my gotcha. kind of takeaway from it but that said, I'm still very excited to play Resident Evil 8. I think it's going to be a cool time. All of that said, it does seem like Resident Evil 4 being remade is like really on the horizon. Don't you think at this yeah, point? I think so. I mean, the remakes of 2 and 3 have been really successful, at least commercially. Like yeah. 2, I, I love 2 because I mean, my my history with the series was I played the first 3 on PlayStation 1. And then uh, 4 was like the big hit for like new and old fans. Yeah. And 4... Weirdly, at that time when four came out, that was the re- like the series needed to reboot. Then mm-hmm. you know it was getting really like kind of tired, and then four came out and like not only like revived the series, but like became the staple that we still see in third person action games. Like, totally, that over the shoulder camera. Y- you don't have to go back to you for, you, like the God of War that came out two years ago is basically Resident Evil Four in terms of like <laughs> how it feels with the camera and the and the first person action. Right, and I think going back to the balance. The, the reason for was so successful was that it didn't take itself seriously at all. Yeah. And if it did, boy, did they not do well. But like, <laughs> it, it's extremely campy, but also still tense. So like, totally. The horror wasn't because of like anything, you know, if, if you looked at all the villains in the game, there's like the dude from Teen Girl Squad with like the paper bag over his head and chainsaw. <laughs> and like, there's, you know, Napoleon, like none of them are actually scary. Yeah. But you know, like it, it's scary when you're like 
surrounded and, and the way the camera is, you don't know if someone's behind you. Right. Yeah, the ability to shoot a gun and throw a grenade will not save you from the enemies. You really do have to think right. very strategically about how you're going to get from point A to point B in that game. And that's where the yeah. tension lies, I think. And I think the the fact that they made Leon like every line that was cut from like a Kurt Russell movie is just so funny. It's yeah. like, you know, when they're like, I will turn you into a new kind of zombie. And he goes, no, thanks, bro. <laughs> so, <laughs> stuff like that is just incredible. So I think the the we've we've talked about Resident Evil Four as well, and like that game still plays great. Like it still holds up very well, uh, depending on what system you have it on. But like it's on everything, you will find a version that works for you. I know you love the Wii version because it kind of added. Yeah, to that's that. the problem is I can't I can't get the Wii version back. That's that's yeah. That's where the the tragedy lies for me. Is that does the not- Switch version let you use the Joy Cons? It does not. Oh, uh, that's a bummer. I know that could have been like the definitive one. That w- to me, that would have been the definitive version. It was if it had the regular controls that you would get if you bought it on any other platform, but also you could use the Joy-Con for motion controls. That that would be like the best place to play Resident Evil 4. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, it's not. Because uh, honestly, my my main gripe with that game um, are the like original controls. I, I find that like the tank controls of needing to stop and shoot like really sucks. Whereas using the Wiimote to be able to like, you still have to stop before you can shoot, but you can stop and then like aim the Wiimote where you want it to go and then shoot makes that yeah. game. Like a dream to play because it's still tense. It's still horrifying. Uh, it, it just makes it a little bit easier in a way that like I think will would allow more people to play it and like get what you and I got out of it. There, there's there's a definitely an intended design to add to the tension that it does take a bit. But I think you're right that like that millisecond of aiming versus like using a joystick to do so does make the world of a difference in some moments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it may be the only case where the Wii version is like the one. Yeah. <laughs> like when, yeah. when has that ever happened? Other than, you know, Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi 2 definitive <laughs> edition for the Nintendo Wii. Um, but uh, weird like alternate era version of this podcast. <laughs> it just makes sense because like again the remakes of of so i i played two and three and loved them and then the remake of two was so good because it was like everything i liked about two and two is like a pretty dated game at this point like it's fun in the sense of like here's a classic playstation one horror game but it was really like nostalgic for me to see that environment I know so well, like in that kind of like degree of fidelity. So and they also like like Adrian said, they took a lot of stuff from Biohazard. So like hallways and stuff that I knew from the original game are just they're in the dark now. There are no lights on. So you have to use your flashlight so you can mm-hmm. only see what's directly in front of you. And the fact that your knives break, so sometimes you just don't have any weapons, like really, <laughs> really cool. That was one of my favorite games of uh, of 2019. Yeah. I did play that game a little bit uh, in October. Did we talk about that? I don't know if we talked about it on the show. I we tried didn't. playing it. No. Um, I had a really hard time with it. I'm going to be honest. Um, I want, I really wanted to like it. It's like, I, I find that very frequently there will be like games that you and I are just like totally effusive about. And like, we're so effusive that the other person feels like a desire to like, I just, I just yeah, want to yeah. like for you, I want to play this game. So I kind of right. had that experience with Resident Evil two. And I just was so off put by the gore, which like, I know is a silly thing to say about a fucking no, it's not. I mean, it's, it's a gory game. Yeah. It was like just way too much for my brain to handle like mid pandemic, you know, like, yeah. like the world was yeah, so totally fucked up that. that 
like watching a guy get ripped in half and his intestines get ripped out by a zombie like in glorious 4k like was not what i needed (laughs) you know no i i agree and i mean honestly for me like a big part of my enjoyment of that game i can recognize as nostalgia because like that was the like resident evil 2 was the one for me that was the one my dad and i finished together and like yeah I think what I love about the older ones over four is the puzzles and the and the sort of more mm. Metroidvania aspects of the environment. So like the police station that used to be a museum and you're finding all these like astrological pieces. That's so much shit. Yeah, you know? totally. Like anything astrology puzzle, like sign me up. Um, yeah. But well, that's uh, weirdly one of the things I about think- four is that four is like absolutely grotesque, but it's like just in that that like grace period of HD graphics where like it still kind of looks muddy and looks like uh, stylized in a way that doesn't feel like it's overdoing it. Whereas now if you're like, I'm making a, f- I'm making an 8k horror video game. Uh, it's going to be bloody. I mean, the first shot of the Resident Evil 2 remake is a, is a truck driver eating a roast beef sandwich and it's, <laughs> shot in a way that yeah. they like trick you into thinking that's like a zombie right but it's just like you know that 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 sets the tone for the rest of the game it really does yeah. um i but I, I don't blame you i mean i'm not really i don't do well with gore either I, but i also played this like during halloween in 2019 mm. so it was a very yeah. different uh mindset but all that to say you said like is a resident evil remake on the horizon it just seems like a no-brainer because that's still the biggest hit and the remakes have been doing well my worry with that though is like Whereas two, I think like warranted a remake. It's like here is a game that has a lot of cool stuff going on, but it's really hard to pick up if you didn't like grow up with it. I don't know if four is that dated in design that it's like, but at the same time, just having a prettier version of four is enough at a certain point, you know, yeah. like having like a way to play four in a, in a higher res environment. I just worry that it will lose the like intentional or not the like campiness and awful jokes of four. Like I, I worry that it would take itself too seriously. Yeah. Um, but based on what's going on in village, I think they know what they're doing. I think they're going even campier than like biohazard was like, yeah. you know, you, you had the video about like the giant vampire woman with like, uh, the hat. I don't know what to call it, but it's the hat that Sai wears in persona five. <laughs> it's like, it's the same hat. Yeah. Um, it's like a captain yeah. Barbosa hat. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I I think I would like to see, and I I'm very I'd be very happy if it's like it, it could just be a nicer version of four, but I think like that's sort of the last one that should be remade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, five I mean, ignore six. five yeah. and six, right? Like, d- just don't don't even revisit those. But um, I I do wonder how much of a one to one remake it'll be. Because uh, I, I think a lot of what was successful about two and three for a lot of people was like taking this game that people feel very nostalgic uh, about and updating not only the game like visually, but also mechanically a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the games play completely differently just mechanically. Um, and I do wonder how much of that needs to happen in four. Is it really just you take the actual like movement aiming and shooting of the two and three remakes and just put it in a in a higher res, prettier version of four? Like that'll probably be enough to be a great game. I don't think you'd need to change a whole lot outside of that, really. The problem, though, is that, like, 4 is so dramatically different. Like, even the remake of 2 is still tied to the more survival horror roots of the series, where, like, when you see a zombie, most of the time you want to run. Whereas, like, in 4, you're fighting most of the time. Like, you need to conserve your ammo and be smart about it, but you're, like kicking groups of zombies in the face like it's a muso game and like mm-hmm. climbing up ladders and stuff it's way more yeah, action knife, oriented yeah. 
Right. So it it would require a very different like blueprint than than the remix of two and three did. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm excited to see what they go with. I mean, uh, if it's a version of four that is more survival horror-y, since we already have the action version, that could be interesting too. Yeah. Totally. Um, but, you know, I think what I would want to see of a remake of four is like, can you do that balance again, but in a way that's like more accessible and nicer to look at? That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. And in the meantime, maybe Resident Evil 8 Village will kind of like <laughs> take the mantle of four into the future. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I mean, we talked about it when it was when when did they announce it? Was that like it wasn't E3 because E3 doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. Whenever there was like a big like video event, we talked about the release of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't the... even remember how how or when it was announced. Maybe it was just like beamed <laughs> into our heads like the Riddler yeah. and Batman Forever. <laughs> we all dreamed of the giant. <laughs> Stop bringing up Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> or is that Batman and Robin? It's Batman Forever. No, Batman and Robin is Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy. Oh, right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, stupid. How can I be so dumb? <laughs> you dumbass, dumbass. <laughs> um, you want to move on? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Probably for the best. <laughs> Probably for the best. Now, now that we brought up <laughs> Joel Schumacher's Batman movies again for some reason. We, the royal yeah. we. Yeah, we, both you. of us. The two of us are talking about Joel Schumacher's Batman movies <laughs> and not moving on. When we've okay. already said that we should move on, we're still talking about Mr. Freeze, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Goodbye. I to break the ice. Ah, yeah, now you're doing it. Goodbye. Brendan, I got a text from Apple Arcade at 3 a.m. that just said, hey. No, no, like, usual, like, oh, there's a new game on Apple Arcade, you know, which we get all the time. Yeah. But just, like, a kind of very present hey. Yeah. At uh, 3 a.m. It's been a while. It's been a long time since you and I have, have uh, explored Apple Arcade. Yeah. And to be honest, it's kind of been a little bit underwhelming in the past like years right you and i are definitely noted apple arcade fans i would say fans yeah Yeah. Um, the hay was for a reason they know us yeah Yeah. they they yeah they know they know when there's a a new game that uh we should definitely check out yeah i I do i do agree with you though like there was definitely that like incredibly impactful launch with a a couple like just unbelievable games Uh, like some of our favorite mobile games ever were on apple Arcade. sign our wild hearts like what like top 10 game like of all time for me grindstone um, grindstone guildlings i mean just so much good shit yeah. round guard is one that i don't know if i ever talked about on the show but is uh one that i would recommend right now if you're looking for a game to play it's also on switch now round guard play it it had a really great start and then kind of just like fizzled out and i and i've always debated like okay do i cancel my subscription like i haven't really downloaded anything in a long time mm-hmm. but i always keep it because i'm like i know i know eventually there will be something like i believe in this enough that i want to think that there could be like it's sort of like how when i i mentioned how when i buy comic books i always will get like a random thing i have no idea what it is yeah that and and when i do find something by chance that i end up loving is why i keep doing that something like guildlings is why i keep apple arcade around it's like, okay it's five dollars a month whatever i know eventually it will be worth it and maybe should i be smart and cancel in the interim then reactivate it when i find something you bet i should but whatever i don't have time for that but all that to say uh you texted me uh not saying hey at 3 a.m but you said hey there's a new apple arcade game that's really good called alba a wildlife adventure alba a wildlife adventure and not only did i download it i downloaded it on my ipad yeah um recently i've been using my i usually use my ipad just to to do drawings i draw mostly on my wacom cintiq but 
I also have Procreate on my iPad for smaller and quicker projects. So yeah. I wanted to have something that didn't require like something I could do on the go that didn't require me like lifting my entire setup to somewhere else. And mm-hmm. I love it. Love Procreate, love drawing on the iPad. But that's kind of all I used it for. I, I I played FTL on it and like the definitive version of FTL is to play it on the iPad. Totally it's agree. so much fun. That's actually one of the reasons I got an iPad was to play FTL. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't really done a lot since. But for whatever reason, I, I, I recently, years late to the hype, but I recently started reading comics on my iPad as well, which is wonderful. That was the other reason I got an iPad. Yeah. Because I've been reorganizing my whole apartment. I was going through my like shelves and shelves of comics. I'm like, what do I actually like? What do I want to keep on my shelf and like keep around? What am I actually going to reread? Mm-hmm. And what can I what can I donate? You know. So I kept most of it, but I I'm trying to free up some space, and I, I and that incentivized me to use my iPad to read, which I would highly recommend. It's so it's so. I'm not really into Kindles or like I like reading books in books. I no shade if you like that, that's fine. Uh, it's all subjective. But reading comics on iPad just feels like it should be the case. Yeah, just so yeah. Reading, reading comics on iPad is great. I am very much not a book reader on the iPad, but I am a Kindle person. I do like Kindle a lot. I, I, I think it might Kindles. just be the the way it's structured on the Kindle is more page like. I feel like my brain thinks I'm reading a long article when I'm reading a book on, on the iPad. iPad. Yeah. 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 Anyway. I downloaded Alba on my iPad, which I'd recommend if you have one. I'm sure it's great on mobile as well, but it's really thrilling on a tablet because it is a game kind of like I would compare it spiritually to a short hike in a sense that it's like this really nice shell cell shaded environment with really beautiful music. And the game handles controls in a way that I really like. Cause I'm, as I play more mobile stuff, I'm like very hit or miss on the virtual analog stick. It can yeah. work and it works like, okay. Okay. Like I've been playing Dragon Quest V on mobile and like it doesn't it it's starting to get in the way sometimes, especially in the dungeons that require precise movement. Cause I'm yeah. like, okay, and it, it just looks kinda of like it, it's sort of like an eyesore sometimes. Um not enough to make me not want to play that game, but just enough to like not blend in. Um whereas how Alba handles moving on a screen, the bottom half of the screen is movement and the top half of the screen is to change your way you're looking. Yeah. Which I think is like one of the better ways to handle, like, how do we translate a right and left analog stick to a tablet or a phone? Yeah. Well, one um, of the big it, things is that when you're moving, the camera is like staying behind you and facing forward anyway. So in a lot of instances, right. you don't even really need to actually move the camera unless you are stopping to look in a direction on purpose. Right, right. So the game is basically you're this young girl on on this really beautiful island. I'm not sure. Does it specify where it is? I don't think it's so. Like a, no. Yeah. The game is is you and your family and your best friend Inez kind of just like navigating this environment. It feels very like for all ages, kind of like Carto was in the sense that like I could see this being a really good game to teach you how most kind of like open world quest driven mm. games work. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel elementary to someone who's experienced a lot of it, but it feels very much like it's guiding you in, in a very helpful way. So totally. like there's a lot of very simple stuff in the beginning where it's like talk to this person and get this quest and like you know there's they do some fun stuff where you have to like shake your head up and down yes or no to like say right in response to things i love um it. but eventually you're given a smartphone to take pictures of animals in the island uh I, I read a polygon article comparing it to pokemon snap which i would definitely agree with in that like you are kind of wandering around this environment taking pictures of animals and then it identifies the animal in like your code 
Codex of Animals on the Island. But it's just so thrilling to like be in this really lovely environment and like already like the game kind of instructs you on like the basics of how to move and how to interact with things so that like when they let you loose it felt very natural to like know like okay how close do I want to get to this animal uh, mm-hmm. what kind of picture do I want to get like it's really really fun Another thing, too, is that there's just, like, occasionally there'll be, like, garbage that you can pick up and throw away. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot in the game about, like, helping the environment and cleaning it up. And, like, I don't know what it is about games that let you throw things away that, like... (laughs) makes me very happy the same thing with astral chain my favorite thing in that game was just like dumping a bunch of shit in the garbage yeah half-life 2 picking up that can putting that can in the garbage not getting killed by the police i don't know what you're talking about i never played half-life 2, you never played half-life 2? oh very, wow very little of it yeah oh, okay um, never mind that's like my big blind spot but anyway that joke killed for a couple people out there listening <laughs> Yeah, I was like, me no no. <laughs> um, I we we talked a lot about kind of open world games where like the main focus is to make the environment better, yeah. which sounds like a no brainer. But I think there's something to be said about games like Alba and weirdly games like Death Stranding, which we talked about last week, where it's like the entire focus is like actually helping other people and making things better, and right. even. The act of like photography as the main incentive is this sort of like very positive connection that I really like and that I hope the new Pokemon Snap follows up on because I think there's a reason why that original game, which was like a silly spinoff of this giant series, like stuck with so many people was that like it really, at least for me, the reason I liked Pokemon Snap was it made me feel like I was part of this world, you yeah. know, more, even more in some ways than the actual games did, because in the games, it was like more about battling and more about like getting the best team and all that, which it is fun. more about you. It's it more w- about me. But it like, was about the Pokemon. Yeah, right. It's like, how do I how do I actually walk up to a Bulbasaur? Like, will they run away from me? Yeah. Um, do I throw them bait? Uh, do I want to intimidate this Onyx? Like it felt very organic and there's a really big place for that i mean i think we're seeing a lot more photography driven games like umaranki generation which i really want to play i'm like waiting desperately for that switch port Um, did you see the stuff about the features they're adding to the switch version no oh my god they're adding they're adding new features just to the switch version that let you like use the uh gyroscope in the switch to like pan and tilt the camera and stuff you can use the touch screen to change all the filters and like the settings uh in processing after and then you can just save them directly to the SD card. That's awesome. Ugh, dying for that game. Alba also has that where, you know, you move your tablet or phone to like move the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think there's like a really, I, I'm excited to see the future of like photo based games. I think having that, you know, with, with, that, with Death Stranding, there's a lot to talk about and we did and we will talk more about it soon. But I think what I focused on was this idea that the central mechanic is atypical of a video game where it's usually about like hitting or defeating you know, which can work. And that's a very broad label to give a, a core action. But the fact that Death Stranding is all about just like carrying stuff and how do you make that actually compelling? Yeah. How do you make a game that's all about throwing out garbage and taking pictures compelling? But because it ties you to the environment in such a helpful and positive way, it, it is very thrilling. Um, yeah. It's hard to put into words without sounding like, it's nice, I like it. But there is something... <laughs> There is a lack there. There's a lack of games that that kind of focus on this stuff that I would love to see more of, especially given like your end result of interacting with an object or a creature is not defeating it and getting stronger, but it is creating something else. You know, me 
aiming at a bird results in a photograph that's unique to my experience, which like, yeah, might sound like I'm over intellectualizing just taking a picture. But there there is like a really interesting thing happening when you make a game about that. So I don't know. I'm very excited to play more of Alba and I want to see more games like it. Yeah, um, it's just it's just beautiful. It's like a sure thing. If you have Apple Arcade, definitely download it. Um, the music is incredible. It's also coming to other platforms, by the way. It's worth noting. They, they've already announced it for Switch and PlayStation and Xbox, I believe. But uh, I, yeah. I imagine there's like an, an Apple Arcade exclusivity. So this is by Us Do Games, who made the Monument Valley games. Um, oh, gotcha. So like, that makes you know, sense. they're like iOS development pros at this point. So like, of course, this <laughs> game would come out on Apple Arcade first. Have you gone to the part with the hotel yet? I'm still very early on. Okay. I, like I said before, I was up until 2 a.m. defeating Kalasmos. Yeah. So uh, I, I played like for a couple hours before recording. Okay. So, so I, just to fill in some blanks yeah. then, because you're you're about to get to this because it's pretty early on. Yeah. But uh, the game, the actual like crux of the game is uh, you as Alba and Inez, your best friend, uh, essentially forming like a wildlife preservation team on the yeah. island um and and that really like kicks into high gear when the mayor of the island and like a random like businessman investor announced that they're closing down the wildlife preserve to build a hotel there and and the game so like when you hear that the obvious thing is like oh yeah so the big bad businessman and the mayor are villains in the game and you have to defeat them by like you know uh doing something to the wildlife preserve to prevent the hotel from being built like that's that's the obvious place that your brain goes when you hear that what's really interesting though is that the game asks a lot of questions about like when which of these is actually better? Some of the people who are like at the announcement, including your grandfather, who like, you know, is the person who teaches you how to take pictures and is like encouraging you to take photos and stuff like you can tell there's this like really beautiful relationship between Alba and her grandfather in terms of like him inspiring her to take photos. He's like, we haven't had a good tourist year on this island in forever. And every business on the island has closed because of it, because of the past like decade of not having any tourists showing up on the island. The island is essentially like on a downward spiral and like maybe a hotel is is actually kind of what we need and then there are other people who are like obviously this is bad because it's a wildlife preserve i mean the whole yeah. reason it exists is to preserve the wildlife uh yeah. so closing it down maybe not great uh so you end up spending a lot of time in the wildlife preserve picking up trash and and kind of like encouraging the animals to like return to it and taking photos of the animals in there to like prove like hey they're actually like really like rare endangered species here in this wildlife preserve which is cool i mean like i i think just to like kind of bounce and 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 one off your point um about like the ability to take photos in this game I, I think is or like the fact that that is your like main method of interaction with the game is really powerful in itself you know it's just like oh yeah I, I'm starting to um, I'm starting to like feel kind of like a sense of belonging in this environment in a way that I normally wouldn't because I'm being forced to engage with it through a camera but on top of that the actual game itself it almost goes like hand in hand with that in a way that I think a lot of other games with photo modes don't in that the thematic arc of the game is that you're supposed to make the environment environment better and then continue to capture it to prove that it's better you know what i mean yeah um, yeah th this idea that like you're gonna go and make the wildlife preserve a place that like you know maybe will bring tourists in by itself i'm not sure but I, I have to assume that that's the end game here is that the wildlife preserve becomes the thing that draws tourists instead of the hotel but like the fact that that's probably where this game ends up just kind of like really goes to show why taking photos is actually the best mechanic to include in a game like this about environmentalism and wildlife protection and stuff like that is like 
you get to admire your own work. You get to admire yeah. your own good deeds via the photos you take. And all of that said, I'm spending like no time in this game taking pictures of wildlife or like doing the main <laughs> quest. My guy, I have been running around as if I'm a street photographer in New York City taking pictures of everything but animals in this game. I'm taking oh, wow. pictures of guys reading newspapers. Uh, I, I'm taking pictures of like buildings and trees and, you know, uh, oceans and stuff like that. Like I have spent almost no time engaging with the actual main story of this game because I am so over the moon about just having a game that allows me to like run around and take pictures of whatever I want and be like yeah that's actually how you're supposed to engage with it. I think that that's thrilling and like really just kind of makes me want to double down on my excitement for Umaranki Generation which I know is actually more about that than anything else. Um, But all of that said, I do think that the way this game is linking what it's about thematically with what it does mechanically really just kind of one-ups the experience that I've had in photo modes in other games where like I, I talk a lot on the show about how much I love photo mode in pretty much every game that has it. And and I'll, I'll just dump hours and hours and hours into photo mode. I, I talked a lot about this with Ghost of Tsushima. I wrote a blog about it. Maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. Maybe I won't. But I, I talked a lot about how like for, for the first time in an open world game that had a photo mode, all of the NPCs didn't look like uncanny valley nightmares so like i was actually able to go around and take pictures of the inhabitants of tsushima in a way that felt natural and like cool and like actually produce the kinds of photos that i wish i could take in real life and can't a because of the pandemic and b because i find it horribly embarrassing to like walk around with a camera in public and take pictures of strangers and like all of that is gone in ghost of tsushima i also feel the same way about alba weirdly enough like even though the characters are much more cartoony and whatever um they still blend with the environment because the whole thing is art so well so it makes the kinds of pictures that i'm taking uh all the better because of it which is really really fun and considering we live in a world where i don't feel very comfortable going outside or taking a camera with me uh much less it's really nice to have spaces that are like designed for me to go out and like kind of get that creative photography uh hit that i've been like really just uh desiring for about a year at this point um you know in in a place like this island or in Tsushima or right now uh, most of my experiences in Death Stranding are just taking pictures of Norman Reedus in different places um, <laughs> which has been oh, yeah. awesome but yeah Alba Alba's an awesome game I really 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 highly recommend it um, I agree it's yeah. a great time I definitely am more interacting with the animals which is kind of funny uh, but I also like really like the fact of like seeing which animals like run away which ones do I have to like hide in a bush before I take right. a picture of yeah like and that is really, it's in, and not to echo the Polygon article too directly, but that's really what I want in the new Pokemon Snap. And I'm like, totally very curious to see. I'm like prepared for that to not be good too, Me to too. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is. I mean, you, you and I are generally optimists about most stuff. Um, yeah. Especially Pokemon stuff. Cause like you and I even like Sword and Shield way more than like the, the loudest people online did. Yeah, it was a great um, time. I, I there's think something like, about Snap though that is a little like disconcerting and I can't put my finger on it yet. Yeah, I think it's because it's like, okay, Pokemon Snap was like, despite everything, a great game. So it was like very, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, well, I shouldn't say despite everything, but it's like that could have easily been like a cash grab spinoff and like yeah. ended up being a really different approach to this giant series and making a new one. The fact that's, I think it's the fact that it's called new Pokemon Snap. That's like <laughs> what is making me feel like, oh, come on, what is this going to be? Yeah. But that's kind of, I mean, I think like, Pokemon Sword and Shield did something interesting with the wild area, which like wasn't implemented very well in terms of like the internet connectivity or anything, which, you know, no surprise. But yeah. like the idea that there was this invite, it was a really cool theory that they're testing where it's like, what does a mainline Pokemon game look like when there's an area that's just full of anything? 
you know, no matter what level you are, we talked about that a lot. It's like, well, no matter what level you are, you might run into like a level 30 onyx when you're like, just have your starting grookey at level five. Like, what do you do? Right. You know? And even like that feeling eventually goes away the more you play it. But in the very beginning, that was very thrilling to me. Me too. Yeah. And I, I think it's like almost there, you know, and that's, I think Sword and Shields, you know, we talked about it a lot. I think where I stand on it is like, it is very much a sequel to what was set up by X and Y and, and Sun and Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know that going in, you're going to have a great time. If you're expecting like a redefinition of the series, you're not going to get that. But like, yeah. it's a great game. And I just, I still want something to like, it doesn't have to be this like massive overhaul. And I think that's why I think Snap has this opportunity to explore, I think, what people wanted to see from the wild area, but like make that the entire game. You know, make yeah. the game just like, what does it look like when you're in an environment where you're interacting with these creatures freely? And that's what Alba weirdly is scratching at in a really totally. effective way. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Al- Alba's awesome. Um, go pick it up on Apple Arcade if you have that and can engage with that. And if not, um, it's coming to other stuff eventually. Uh, there's actually yeah. some more Apple Arcade stuff that i have downloaded recently i haven't played any of it because i've just been playing alba but one of the games that i'm actually really excited to check out again um which maybe i'll talk about eventually is various day life which is the square enix game that launched oh, yeah. apple arcade, right that you and i i think checked out or i checked out i mean i definitely checked it out and i did not enjoy it very much i haven't played it yet i have seen that uh it has since gained like an extremely loyal and large fan base um and i'm really curious as to why so i'm gonna check that game out again and maybe i'll report back Cool. Yeah. But please let me know. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Oh, and uh, the reason that I checked that game out uh, in the first place or the reason I, I redownloaded that game was because they announced a new game by the creator of Final Fantasy that's coming out for Apple Arcade. Yeah. Which I saw you talk about that on the video. It's like they have they built like miniature environments in real life and then. Yeah. Put the character in them in the game. Yeah. So it has this, it like, looks so goofy, but like I'm yeah. so into the idea of like. So j- just to like clarify, they built like actual models of all of the environments that the characters will be moving around in like actual physical models and they're just taking pictures of them and then like overlaying the 3d sprites of the characters into those real places uh, which is like such a goofy idea that i i just uh, even in the interview with um hironobu sakaguchi he even says like this is a game that should not exist and they shouldn't be giving me money to make it but <laughs> here it is um, it's almost like a different lens of uh octopath traveler where you had the 2d sprites in like a yeah. lush unreal engine 3d environment but this is like the it's like okay what do you have 3d characters in a real place yeah (laughs) um it reminds me of how certain like ps1 games look where they might have done that but like Mm. in a less in a less direct way yeah but they just sort of took like a okay here's like a google screenshot of like a rocky floor (laughs) that's the background (laughs) um yeah that game is called fantasian it has no like release date or anything i think they're they're aiming for it to come out this year and that seems really ambitious uh given given where they're at in terms of the interview here i'm i'm so down to check that out though that sounds very interesting yeah uh that's coming to apple arcade first um now that i'm thinking about it it's almost the reverse of moon uh which has uh claymation characters in a like pixely uh jrpg environment yeah you're right absolutely you want to take a quick break and then come back and we'll uh i have have one more thing i want to bring up and then we'll wrap up how's that sound that sounds great to me okay see you soon steven we're back um i want to mention one kind of like ethereal thing 
which is maybe <laughs> okay. more of a tease for a future episode than it is an actual segment uh, of a thing that we're talking about this episode. But um, I've, I've been going and playing some games that I had missed out on in childhood because I, I had a closed mind like an idiot and didn't <laughs> didn't understand that eventually I would like JRPGs or an, and RPGs in general. Uh, because when I was a kid, I remember being at swim practice at the lake in the town where we grew up and somebody oh God, approaching yeah. me and saying, Brendan, I'm playing this game on my Game Boy Advance and it's called Golden Sun and I think you'd love it. And I and I said, I don't like RPGs. And you swam away. I swam away. Yeah. Was so dumb. Brendan Bigley was so into Pokemon games at that <laughs> age, did not even understand that that was an RPG. So silly of me to have not played Golden Sun uh, way back when. And I would, lo- I would love to be revisiting Golden Sun with nostalgia glasses instead of playing it for the first time now. Not to say I'm not enjoying it now, because I really am. But I kind of want to talk a little bit more about how I'm playing Golden Sun then yeah sure my experience playing golden sun because i think you also want to check out golden sun again sometime soon right i have it yeah i have the i have the actual cartridge uh unbelievable i weirdly i mean god at that time steve this is steven bringing his like strategy guides into class i yeah. was the cosmic <laughs> opposite of preteen brendan bigley i was like giving people quests at lunchtime but uh <laughs> For whatever reason, I also missed Golden Sun. I I didn't have it originally. I heard about it, and I I bought the cartridge like in college, like years later. On the Game Boy Advance, there were a ton of really good ports of Super Nintendo RPGs, um, but Golden Sun was like the first big original. Like Fire Emblem was also an original series on Game Boy Advance, but it it had been going on for a long time in Japan. Right. Golden Sun was like wholly original, wholly built for the GBA. Yeah. By the people who brought us Waluigi, here is their t- literally. Yeah, it, it's I. I thought I was assuming it's proven. Camelot, the developers, also made all the Mario Tennis and Mario Golf games. And Nintendo asked Camelot, "Hey, Wario needs a partner. Can you just add a character to this game?" And we got Waluigi. They, was commissioned out, they by outsourced Camelot. the creation of a Mario <laughs> brother. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I play like the it's very... biting them in the ass every day. Every time somebody <laughs> tweets at Nintendo of America on Twitter, add Waluigi to Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. So, <laughs> God. So I play like the first two hours of Golden Sun like a while ago, and yeah. and for whatever reason didn't continue. So I will absolutely revisit it alongside you because i'd love to talk about it because i yeah. know it's like a very beloved series the first yeah. two in particular the second one also has a lot of people who say it's even better so well, yeah the thing know, the we'll thing about it, it that eventually. i didn't realize is that the games are episodic so like golden sun 2 is actually just a continuation of golden sun 1 they just like called it golden sun 2 but it's actually the the mm. completion of the story it's not like oh, it's not it's not like gotcha. sequel sequel it's it's almost as if um it was like a, a, a telltale game that was released in episodes gotcha gotcha which is kind of fascinating i i had never heard of a game doing that um up until that point so that's really cool um, and then there's also another one on the three, uh, no, on the regular DS, which did not sell very well. No, that's the third one. Yeah. But the first two are, are beloved. Are anyway, beloved. Yeah. Have you ever you talked to a Golden these? Sun fan? Like somebody who loved oh, Golden yeah. Sun? Like, I feel like when you talk to people who love Golden Sun, they like stare off into the distance for a couple seconds before they tell you about how much they like it. It's also really overlooked because I think th- there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think like it doesn't have the fanfare that a lot of other RPGs of a similar kind do. Yeah. So like, there's always like an almost defensive air about a golden sun fan. I was like, fuck you. I like golden sun. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I play golden sun, whatever. Fuck off. Yeah. 
I think you are going to have a night and day experience with with revisiting Golden Sun. Probably because I yeah, probably I am losing my whole mind playing this game. <laughs> I have misplaced my brain while playing Golden Sun. It is yeah. such a bizarre thing, and so clearly by the team that created Waluigi. Like it is like so <laughs> obvious that they went and made Waluigi, and then they were like, "All right, JRPG time, baby. Now we're ready, Golden Sun. Yeah. <laughs> we got to do more. We got to make feeling. a wah yeah. JRPG." <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Um, it feels that way. I'll just say this much before. Like, we'll, we'll talk about the game, like, when you've put some more time into it. But I'll just say this much. There are a lot of instances in which characters will ask you. You're playing as a, as a character named Isaac. Uh, a lot of characters will ask you questions and you can respond uh, yes or no. Kind of like Alba, a wildlife adventure. But a lot of characters will ask you yes or no. And there are, like, real consequences in this game to saying yes or no when you shouldn't say yes or no. Oh my god. There there's a there's an instance like really early on is like the opening of the game where like who are clearly the villains are asking if you will uh like help out with their evil quest and and essentially they're like threatening the, the lives of like your friends. They're like we're going to kill your friends if you don't do this. And all your friends are like don't do it, Isaac. Don't do it. Don't help them. And I was like, "Okay, I won't." And then I said no, and then somebody else in my party was like, "You fucking idiot." And like knocked me over and then took all of the items that the villains wanted and just handed them over without like my being able to say so. And now he hates me. So like wow. <laughs> like that kind of stuff happens in Golden Sun, which I really was not expecting at all. This game is much darker than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, the game opens with a big boulder falling from a volcano and killing a bunch of people in your village. It's horrifying. Yeah, I remember the destruction of the village, which is like weirdly a staple on RPGs. Yeah. It's like your home gets destroyed in some way. Yeah. You just sit um, there and watch a boulder wipe out like five people and then like it comes yeah. to three years later and everybody's still sad about it and talks about it all the time and like it's real. Yeah. It's really upsetting. It's, it's a wild game and I'm excited to keep playing it. I've been playing it kind yeah. of like a Dragon Quest in a way, like an hour before bed just about. Um, yeah. But I want to talk about a little bit how I'm playing this game because I, I think it's I think it's interesting. Early on in quarantine, I got like really, I don't know, I feel like everybody just kind of had like a rabbit hole that they went down at some point. For a lot of people, it was baking bread around that era of quarantine. It was like, I'm going to learn how to make sourdough and I'm going to like make a sourdough loaf at my house. Uh, That was like the March and April like weird trend that everybody had. For me, it was weirdly enough mechanical keyboards. I don't know why. I just like wanted a better keyboard to work with from home. Like I was like, oh, okay, if I'm going to be working from home for a year, then I might as well have like a keyboard that I like to do it with because I hated the one that I had. Uh, and I just thought it was going to be really easy. Like I was just going to hop on like wirecutter.newyorktimes.com um, and find the best <laughs> mechanical keyboard. And then what I found out was that this is like a horrible rabbit hole where you can spend like thousands <laughs> of dollars on like um, like an aluminum machined LED laden device with custom keycaps that look like the cyberpunk logo uh, for some reason. <laughs> um, and you can get it where like maybe for some reason it doesn't have an escape key and like that's cool. Uh, like that's like the vibe of the mechanical keyboard scene. Uh, I just wanted an easy answer. I just wanted to know like what is the one I should buy and I ended up getting one but it's a wild time. Uh, mechanical keyboards yeah. are I'll say this. They're they're nice. I mean, I so I ended up getting one eventually. Uh, I got some Animal Crossing keycaps. I love. Yeah, those are great. Those are from Pablo, right? Yeah, yeah. Our, our friend yeah. Pablo got them for me for uh, for my birthday, which was really nice of him. And uh, I don't know. I, I just wanted an answer and I got an answer, you know, but like there's a whole world of mechanical keyboard enthusiasts who like only think, breathe and talk about this. And that's like, I love finding those corners of the Internet that are that yeah. like, wild. Like my YouTube recommendation algorithm was fucked for like six months. <laughs> 
months after this like one week spree of me trying to learn about mechanical keyboards. You I know knew which what's one to funny buy. about about ad algorithms? I literally get ads for like Monsanto esque corporations now. <laughs> like I've gotten ads for like genetic seed manufacturers. Yeah, uh, I will so say- my brand is my brand is all mixed up. It's scrambled. Uh, at this I point. do get Instagram ads for a company that uh, prints the Enron logo on hats all the time. <laughs> Which, like, I'm going to be honest, that is a thing I would wear. Yeah. But I don't want to give them the, the satisfaction of, of, of clicking on the shop now button. Oh, my God. No, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. I don't need that so, Enron hat. Oh, yeah. yeah anyway. How, so how are you playing Golden Sun? <laughs> yeah. So um, weirdly enough, the next the next rabbit hole that I fell into after after this mechanical keyboard one was the world of, like, pocket emulators, which is mm. a really, really, really fascinating just like product category that I just want to talk about for a second because I just think it's yeah. really cool that it exists. Totally. I didn't really know that this existed. I way back when I got an NVIDIA Shield TV, which is like a little um, it's a little like uh, emulator box or I guess it's an Android TV box that you can plug in. But you could also like throw in an SD card or uh, a flash drive like filled with games and emulate them on this device, uh, which is really cool. I mean, it played like everything up through like PS2 games, which is really cool. Uh, and I liked it a lot. But I always found it really hard or like not ideal to play handheld stuff that way. I, it always yeah, bummed me out, yeah. like playing a game like a Pokemon game, for example, on the TV. It was just like, I, I just really wish I could hold this close to my face, honestly. Um, so I found this whole like world that exists of pocket emulators. And I picked one up recently. Uh, this one is called the the Anbernic RG321P which is this little like handheld device. It has uh, two Nintendo Switch analog sticks on it, weirdly enough, and like a screen that is the exact uh, dimensions of a Game Boy Advance screen, but is like a much obviously better screen than that uh, and is also like twice as large. Um, and it's got some like nice buttons and charges the USB-C and has a headphone adapter and like an SD card slot um, and everything. And I've been playing... Game Boy Advance games on it for the past like two weeks ever since I picked it up or I guess week it's been it's only been a week Jesus anyway I've been playing stuff on this and it's fucking incredible man yeah and it just like really doubly bums me out about the thing that you and I talk about all the time which is like I just I wish I could be playing this stuff on the switch like yeah right right this whole category product exists I spent like a, a couple days looking at like the not even lying like about a hundred different products that exist in this like category of products of all these like manufacturers making little devices that do this that run linux and run android and run whatever uh to allow you to emulate stuff from the game boy era uh in like a handheld form factor and this wouldn't exist or maybe it would but in a more limited capacity if nintendo would just like release this stuff that people want to play and like charge money for it like I want to be playing Golden Sun on the Switch. I want to be playing, you know, Pokemon Emerald on the Switch. And like, that's just not allowed or possible. And that's really a bummer. Yeah, it's it's I mean, we talk about this a lot with like game preservation and backwards compatibility. And like Nintendo was doing better with it with the Wii and the Wii U and the 3DS. Yeah. And that like, <laughs> I think for the Wii U, it was because no one had a Wii U. It's like, fuck, we got to do something. Um, <laughs> here, you can buy Earthbound. Yeah. Uh, Open the but, floodgates. Um, what is the thing people want? <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly, on the Wii, it was like kind of ahead of its time. I mean, you could do that on the PS3 in a limited capacity, but like yeah. getting Star Fox 64 and like Ocarina of Time on the Wii was like cool. You yeah. Know? And like, of course, you had to get like a 
Wii Classic controller that you had to plug into your headgear and like, you know, it was a nightmare. <laughs> but like, yeah. ha- they have that all there. And, you know, there's no reason that it can't be on the Switch. As evidenced by the weird, like, uh, we're sorry you have to pay for Nintendo Online when it doesn't work. Here's a bunch of Super Nintendo games, which I, l- I mean, you and I have talked about how much we like the fact that the NES and the SNES libraries are there. And there's a l- for the uh, Super Nintendo in particular, there's a lot of really good titles that would cost you like 40 plus dollars to get, you know, totally. now. Yeah. But it's even more frustrating. It's like, what's stopping you from just having like a Game Pass-esque service where you can get all the old stuff and like play whatever, you know, you have it all. I understand that it's probably more work to make it compatible and I don't want to like downplay that and I don't want to like ask for too much. But I do think, especially with the Game Boy Advance, it is the least preserved era by like Game GameCube and Game Boy Advance. It's like Nintendo had a phase they don't want to talk about anymore yeah <laughs> that like everyone loved it's like we, we loved when you were really emo and like made cool music and like no no no, <laughs> i don't do that anymore <laughs> fuck all we want is that era back i totally agree i mean and I'm, and I'm glad that like people are taking it upon themselves to like create a avenue to play these games in a way that like works i mean i have a I bought a Game Boy Advance SP um, like a year or two ago to have the ability to play all of the old Game Boy stuff and Game Boy Advance on a system that has a backlight. You know, it's like, I don't, right. I can't get the the warm light magnifying glass at age 30. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I draw a line somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I love the SP. It's a little small, but I love like that. That design was incredible yeah, at the really time. Cool. Uh, and and really paved the way for how I think the DS and the 3DS were designed, which I think are both great, obviously. But like that was the first thing I was looking for. I was looking for uh, a Game Boy SP adjacent device, like the one that I bought. If if there was like a clamshell version of this, oh my god, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but yeah, it just it just it's just baffling that they're like sitting on this, and then when they do release it, it's like in a limited time, like the fire, like oh here's Fire Emblem One, but you can only get it until March. Yeah. You know, I'm glad to see that they're doing a little bit more. Okay, now you can get the first three Dragon Quests on Switch. You can get the first Fire Emblem on Switch. I know it's a slow process, but I just think it, it feels like there is such a a void for for that like support. And I worry that it's not not only is it not being prioritized, but it's like almost being actively worked against at times. Yeah, you know, and that that bums me out. It's like. Nintendo of all people, like I almost wish they rested on their laurels a little bit more with their past library sometimes where it's like, just let us play the stuff that was great that you already made. Right. You know, like why, why keep it locked away? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, Nintendo could, could have last year been like, we're going to put every game that we have in development for the switch on hold and just release, you know, like a, like a, uh, virtual console esque library of stuff, you know, that is just right. like emulating ROMs that we, uh, dumped from the actual, like original physical cartridges onto, <laughs> onto the Nintendo switch. Like that would have been enough for a lot of people, I think to like get them through 2020. But like in the absence of that, we live in a world where like devices like this, Anbernick thing that I have exist and are thriving because people just take it in their own hands. You know, like how long yeah. are people going to ask for Mother Three getting ported to the West before <laughs> a bunch of fans just sit there and translate the whole things themselves? You know, which has now happened. You could play Mother Three, but you you know you have to download a fan translation to do it. What I'm not, I don't want to. I'm not asking for a world where I only give my money to Nintendo. I like that there are people I can support that are doing this stuff like outside of a giant corporation. Yeah, totally. Um, 
but I worry about Nintendo's response to a lot of it, you know, because like usually it's sue them out of existence. Right. And it's like, if you're not going to do it, you can't punish the people that are doing it for you. You know, mm-hmm. then it's like all you're left with is no one can play Golden Sun. <laughs> is that what you want? <laughs> is that what you want, Nintendo? Maybe uh, it is. Maybe they don't so, want anyone to play the RPG. It might be because of Waluigi. It might be because like, <laughs> they're like, you made Waluigi. Not only are we not going to ever re-release Golden Sun, we're, we're hiding this entire era yeah. from the future. Yeah, we're not even going to... Yeah, yeah, our own games won't even see the light of day. <laughs> You've cursed us all. <laughs> Anyway, I I agree. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, I think Nintendo's not they're not ignorant of the fact that people want to play older stuff. I just don't know what they're doing with that. That being said, I mean, the Switch is is for the first time since the GameCube has incredible third-party support yeah. and incredible indie library, which like I'm extremely happy with. You know, I'm not like upset that I have a switch, but I do think just in the long term discussion of like, how do we, you know, because our show is like a, we check out old and new stuff, like whenever we want, I would love like more ease in recommending and acquiring for myself these older games. Cause you kind of have to like, you basically have to discover and find a hobby to do so. You know, totally. like, yeah. it's like, Oh, you want to play golden sun? Now you got to get into model trains. It's like, fuck. Yeah. I didn't want to have to get into model trains to play this game, but here I am. <laughs> So, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm so with you on that. Yeah. That said though, I mean I'm playing Golden Sun, I'm having a really good time. Uh Hell would I yeah. rather be doing it on the Nintendo Switch? You bet I would, but for now, this thing rips. I mean, it's such a cool little device and I'm glad to have it. And it's allowing me to play a bunch of stuff that I missed out on, which uh I'll just I'll just say this much. Expect Steve and I to be revisiting some Game Boy Advance stuff soon. Tease sprinkled. <laughs> Uh, is that a phrase? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm very excited. Anyway, uh, I won't say anymore. Yeah. Do you want to wrap up? I would love to wrap up. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, you know, the deal, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Uh, honestly, that's like truly whenever we, whenever we see someone new in the discord or, or someone reaches out to us about the show, um, that's usually how they discovered it. So that really is like how we want to grow is word of mouth of people who enjoy it. And you know, yeah. Uh, also, if you want to go on Apple Podcasts and give us a review, that also helps on a more like mechanical way. Thank you so much to a lot of our new patrons. We got like a bunch recently. Um, yeah. That's unreal. As always, if if backing the show financially puts you in any financial strain, please do not. But that support helps us grow. Uh, we can do the show without it, but it helps us grow. And, you know, it just it creates more possibilities for us. Um, so for those who are able to, Thank you so much. We we really appreciate it. Into the cast online is where you can find all our various, you know, platforms and pages, our Twitter account, our Twitch. Um, I'm going to start trying to stream more in the coming months. I've been, we've both been a little bit more inactive because you started Good Morning Video Games and I just haven't been able to recently. Um, but I'm in the, still in the process of getting a new laptop. And once I am, You'll see much more. So keep an eye on that. Uh, you did yeah, just that's... stream some more uh, Elder Scrolls Five. I Skyrim. did. Yeah, I I want to wrap up that series narratively. So expect one or two more in the coming weeks. Um, and then I have some projects I'm excited about once I'm able to uh, to do them. So yeah, all good stuff. That's all I have. Do you have anything more to add? Uh, no, no. I that, that pretty much wraps it up on on my end as well. Just uh, again, want to echo. I mean, the the amount of like people who've been reaching out to us 
recently is definitely more than ever before and i think is like both shocking and also really uh, heartwarming it is yeah thank you all so much i mean a lot of people have been saying like that they're going back and listening to the entire back catalog of the podcast which is like a really wild thing and also is like exactly what steven and i hoped for when we started yeah. the, the show was that every episode could be accessible regardless of when you're listening to it um yeah so that's really cool man I mean, thank you so much to everybody who's been doing that and reaching out and telling us about it absolutely it's really been a great time i love doing the show with you yeah uh, i'm very grateful for it uh and and a big thank you to aj our producer for editing all of these episodes and yes just being a you, wonderful AJ. positive force and a great captain on the sea <laughs> the beating heart of the ship yeah anyway i think that's it so i'm gonna go oh uh, okay and- <laughs> i'll catch you later then <laughs> After all the harming stuff, I'm fucking out of here. This party sucks. <laughs> the, uh, I'm going Pick to the me mall. Up. I can't even fucking play Golden Sun. Pick me up. This party sucks. <laughs> uh, hey. Pick me up! My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. My name is Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.